Hey everyone, Scott DeGrossier here with the e-commerce insights. Thanks for joining. I'm with my esteemed guest as they all are, Tom Breeze. Hey. I sought out Tom. Uh, I wanted, you know, the, the best YouTube buyer I know is Tom. He gives great training. He's always down to earth, accessible, but at the same time, it's like advanced material. And I know he invests his own money along with his clients' money. So that counts for something from where I come from. So when I was having YouTube questions myself and just, I know that YouTube is already popular, but even more on the up uprise, even for e-com brands, I said, you know, we need to have Tom on. So here he is. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me on, Scott. It's good to be here. And I have, I have a ton of questions. As I was telling Tom before the episode, uh, we started taping. I said, you know, this was like the fastest podcast prep ever. I had so many questions about <laughs> uh, about YouTube buying that. I mean, you know, I fancy that I kind of know my way around data, but you know, there's always the devil in the details and the, the expertise that you need at specific platforms is uh, something I'm really excited to hear about. Now, before we get into all those type of questions, I mean. How did you get involved in ad buying to begin with? And then what led you to this passion specifically for YouTube ads? Good question. So back in, or how many, I don't know how many years ago it was now, it was quite a few, probably about 12, 13 years ago or something. I, I came out of university having studied psychology for three years and then I did my master's for two years. And I come from like a science background and like working with professors and that sort of world. And so for me to come out the psychology degree and master's, I was like, okay, what do I do now? I'm in a mountain of debt and I need to make some money fast. Oh, I've come from like an entrepreneurial family. So my father was a, still is an accountant and my brother started his own recruitment company. And so for me with my mountain of debt, I was like, well, how far could this go wrong? Like if it goes wrong, it's just another five, 10 grand on top of the debt I already have. So we're no, we're no worse off. And so I was, I moved to London and I was kind of had these skills and I was like, right, I'm going to try and work with some people. And being in London, I was like, right, what can I do? And the, the one thing that I've been trained up to be really good at was dealing with anxiety. So I was not like a life coach or anything like that. It's more a case of saying in the business world, because I was in London, let's see if I can help people overcome some anxiety related issues. And the most obvious one for me was public speaking, presentation skills, kind of meetings, that type of stuff. And I put like a, an ad in the yellow pages, built like a little website and it went horribly wrong. I spent a load of money, not, not even one phone call at the time. And it's the classic marketers kind of mistake, really. The yellow pages sent the rep round to be like, oh, he's got a load of money from him first round. Let's see if we can do the same thing next year. And I remember they came around and said, all you need is a bigger ad. That's all you needed. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> and so I decided to quit that activity. I was like, well, what do I do now? And it was so lucky because I had a, when I registered my business, something must have happened with Google because they found out about my company and they sent me a 30 pound voucher, which is about like $40 or something in those lines. And they said, here, spend it on Google search. That was the only thing available at the time. And I had, I mean, I was using Yahoo. I think it was at the time, wasn't even using Google. I think, think Google was too popular at the time. So I plugged in and kind of worked out what they'd given me, I realized that I could bid when people were typing in keywords and I had this 30 pound voucher. So I was like, okay, fine. And so I, I kind of worked out what to do, 
didn't really think of tracking anything, but I just thought, well, what I'll do is I'll just send some traffic straight from the Google search results to my page. And it said, hey, if you've got public speaking fears, I can help you fill in this contact form and I'll call you back. It was the simplest funnel in the world. There's nothing to do with it. That was it, basically. And a phone call and then close them over the phone. And the and it was like in the good old days of Google. So this is the easiest thing to do in the world. So I ran this text ad traffic straight to the site and it worked. I had two phone calls and I closed the client on that day. So 30 pounds turned into just shy of 500 pounds. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that was a good return. Uh, Maybe I should do the same thing tomorrow, which I did. And it kept on working. So I was like, okay, cool. I can build a business off this. So I kind of fell into the world of advertising without realizing it. I grew my first business doing that. And I was kind of doing all this one-to-one work with people and it was going very well, but I kind of, I didn't know much about business at the time. So I kind of capped out and couldn't do more one-to-ones. I didn't think for a second that anyone else could do what I was doing. Didn't think I could hire anybody to help me. (laughs) All those like most ridiculous business 101 questions back in the day, I just didn't have a clue about. It's been a sharp learning from there, but I started to do workshops. So I got more and more people into one setting to leverage my time. And from that, someone came up to me and said, hey, I, I'm looking to learn how to speak in public, but I saw that you promoted this workshop with a video. And that's what I'd done. And I, I worked out how to put a video on my website and promoted this to my email list. And people came to this, this workshop and they said, I would love to learn how to do a video for my website. I was like, oh, I can help you with that. I can help you speak and present, do a good presentation. And so I kind of went to his offices, filmed it, and they put it on their website and it worked really well for them. I was like, okay, cool. That was different and I hadn't done that before I knew nothing about filming either I just kind of worked out that daylight was good and and microphones were good that was basically it and but they loved it and so I was like okay fine that worked and the more and more I used video the more and more I realized I was selling better and I made the jump from just selling to my email list to then put a video on my website I took a bit more time over this one I remember kind of looking at my dictaphone because I had to record it into a dictaphone and edit it together afterwards and I'd done like 123 takes of this seven-minute video. I didn't even think you could edit up the video. I just thought you had to do it in one take. So it took me hours and hours, days and days. And in the end, I got this video stuck on my website. And my conversion rate jumped from about 7% to 22%, literally overnight. So I was running these Google ads. And I just I remember waking up that day and just realizing that, wow, hang on a second, I've got so many more people inquiring. I must have something must have gone wrong with my ad spend. And it was this video and it was working so well. And so from there, I kind of started to get into more and more video. I started to help the people that I was making videos for, help them rank their videos. And I teamed up with somebody, a business partner at the time, and um, he was ridiculously good at the SEO world. And so he was ranking these videos for some really tough terms because um, Google really favored video at the time for rankings. That was going exceptionally well until Google changed the rules on us. And all of a sudden it was Panda updates and Penguin. I don't know if you remember back in the yeah, day. when. Yeah, all these things just wiped out SEO. And they were like, I can remember like seeing these videos from Google saying, you must get backlinks and here's how you do it. And then six months later, it's like, backlinks are a really bad idea. And I was like, great. This is like, thanks, Google, for giving us that. Always advice. change in the industry. It's <laughs> yeah, it's everything's changing. Even today, like, right, everything's changing on multiple platforms right now. And, and so then I kind of hadn't advertised for a while because I'd just been doing the SEO game. When all these rankings started dropping, I, one of my clients had a great video with like perfected how to create video by this point. And I said, well, look, what's if I, cause he dr- fell off the front page of Google and lost all this traffic. And I said, well, what's if I try and supplement it with some ads? And I was just embarrassed at the time because I was spending quite a lot of money with us each month on SEO. I said, I'll, I'll fund it myself. 
I'll run some ads because that's how I built my first business. And I was like, well, maybe I can get these YouTube ads to work. I know it's got a good video. I ran it and it luckily worked really well. So we just did some really simple targeting, ran the ad, ran traffic to his website. And I remember like two days later, I gave him a call and said, how's it working out? Like, is his traffic any good? And he was like, this is amazing. I was like, okay, cool. That's good. <laughs> and I was like, how much would you pay for these leads that we're sending you? And um, he had worked it all out and said, well, they're worth about 40 pounds. So how about I give you 10 pounds? And I was like, okay. And for me, it was at the time, it was costing about two to three pounds to oh. acquire these leads for him. And so we were both in just a complete win state. Like, I think it was like 8Xing or something like that. Not that it's like that today, but uh, we just were both like halving the profits basically. And he was ridiculous happy. I was good and we could scale. And it was from that moment on, I never really looked back again. I was like, okay, this is my new world. I love, I love video. I can use all my psychology every single day to work out how to make this messaging even better. I get the math side of it where I can work on the ad accounts. And really, it was just like my passion had drawn together to be advertising. And I, I really didn't want to grow an agency. That was not my intention. I just woke up one day. I was like, I've got lots of clients and I've got some staff running the accounts now. I think I have an agency. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a weird realization at that point. But I just that's what I've been doing ever since, growing and scaling. And now we're teaching other people how to run YouTube ads. We're getting some great results there as well. So it's it's fun. We're kind of that's kind of my story of how I got into YouTube ads. But I just I just love this platform. And even if YouTube changes, it's the whole idea of messaging and getting video working and advertising it and seeing instant returns. It's it's, it's great fun. It, I didn't I can't think of a better world to live in. You know, better career to have. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's fun when your passion aligns with demand in the market and you're like, how did you get all that business? You're like, well, I was good at it, but I just love doing it and people need it. <laughs> so it's not so much you got to compel them to buy your stuff. It's like, I love doing this and you need it. So it's a much easier sales process in those cases I've seen. Yeah. Well, that, you that, had a precise yeah. date that you, you had said it was Mar May, May 21 of 2013 that you had specialize what was that significance of that date how do you re remember it so well well that was that was the date where this result came through um i had to kind of pair it back i had to work out what that actual date was when you sent that question through to me and i worked it backwards and i was like that was the day when i ran the ad and it was a success and the client i called the client and said is this working for you and he said yes and i was like there's something here and it was almost like i was like right drop everything like team we're going to focus on just doing this and a lot of the team weren't interested in advertising. They were just doing the SEO thing. And so a lot of them said, no, we're out. And but I was like, okay, that's fine. Cause it doesn't need many people to run the ad account. And I just remember being like, yeah, this is like my moment of like, I can see what I want straight away. Like, I just want to do this. It, it definitely has that bug. I think that anyone who becomes an ad buyer doesn't retreat from that lifetime quickly or like lifestyle quickly. You know, like it's, it's quite an addictive thing to get into when you're kind of looking at running getting an ag account live and then the, the passion of seeing it turn into something and grow and scale and it's something really exciting about it like I, i'm still that guy that when an account goes live i'm like I, I don't press refresh every single day quite so much as i used to these days but um i definitely check it on the team like how's that one going cool good how's that one going cool good and i can't not do that it's just it's uh, you just want to see the the fruits of your labor so to speak but also just see it come to life. I mean, I'm sounding like I'm a real math geek or something like that. <laughs> I'm really not, <laughs> but I, I, I do love seeing things work and I, I feel like you've got enough control to make those things work and you've got enough levers. 
you're not kind of held back by anything. It's the responsibility lies with you, which is daunting and and uh, stressful sometimes, but also super rewarding. Super rewarding because if you had a corporation, you could work really hard, and it's just death in, in a committee. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whereas this one, you can see the fruits. You're late, and you have uh, you you have accountability, but in a positive way. You know, if you do good work, you'll see the results. And there's no denying it. There's a lot of satisfaction in that. So fast forward to 2020, how much ad spend have you spent yourself or managed for your clients? How far has it come since May 21, 2013? Yes, we did just shy of 5 million pounds in ad spend last year. It was a big year for us last year, like COVID and all the lockdowns and everything changed the game, especially in March, April last year. I think a lot of ad ad buyers have experienced a similar thing where uh, unless you're working in some tourist industry or something. But there's a lot more eyeballs, a lot of ad buyers or a lot of advertising companies pulling spend. And so it just like opened up, like CPMs dropped and many more eyeballs. It was a great time to be advertising. And so, yeah, we had a record year. It was amazing. We actually oversee a lot more ad spend if we were to, con- like we do a lot of work with consultancy and all the other clients as well. So um, we we consult, we kind of do a lot of agency work, which is not necessarily our spend sometimes as well. So there's a lot going on. Yeah, we, we manage quite a bit. Awesome. You know, I was thinking about with my own company, all these this content I have and what am I going to do? And then we deal with e-commerce brands. Some have a ton of videos, some don't. What, what strategies, what worked best for you like in general terms? Yeah, it's a good question. We, we kind of tend to go back to basics a little bit with all advertising that we do. We kind of look at the four A's to make a really successful YouTube ad, ad campaign is going to be normally the ads themselves. That's like probably the biggest lever point, like a really, really solid video ad. And we can go deep into that if you wish. Mm-hmm. That's like number one. Like if we can create a really good ad, that really helps. Um, we also have like the audience. So that's targeting your audience. I mean, with YouTube, you do have to think about advertising differently to pretty much all other platforms that I know about. I wouldn't profess to say that I'm an expert in other platforms, but the YouTube platform itself seems to be a bit of a kind of melts people's minds, so to speak, when they first look at it. It can feel like it's a bit daunting because it's a bit like Google, but very different because you're now using a video as opposed to anything else. And it's a bit like Facebook, but you're dealing, you don't have a newsfeed, you have videos where you're appearing. And it's so it's a, it's a very different platform. It's more like a library than it is the social hangout place like Facebook would be. So you have to treat it differently. So the audience is one thing. Acquisition is another one, like the funnels and how you're acquiring the traffic. So what the offers are and the money around that as well. So like the average order value and how much you're, if you're kind of like ROI focused or if you're growth mindset focused, you've got kind of whatever you're playing with um, on those numbers. And then also like how you run the account because you've got to work with the algorithms somewhat to say, right, what's the best way to get started? The middle kind of phase of like getting from $1,000 a day spend, let's say to probably what $5,000 a day spend. And then how do you go beyond there to much more spend per day? It's kind of, it goes in phases. And what you what you do in stage one is not going to be the same as that we do in stage three. So it's kind of it's a growth process through it all. But to, to say like what the best thing to be doing in 2021 is, it's still going to be the creative. It's like if you create a really good ad and, you, and of course you've got a good offer with some good margin, then everything becomes easier. But the, the audiences are going to go through a bit of a change with everything that's going on with the Apple updates and all that sort of stuff. But in the end, there's search-based audiences. There's, you could always say there's remarketing-based audiences. And there's audience and there's much more interest-based audiences as well. So 
knowing that going in, you kind of, that's the landscape going in. And it's like the best ads just open up everything really. Yeah. So yeah, I, when we were horsing around in there, it started working out because the targeting in YouTube, it is more Facebook-esque and more accessible because you can just target people and say, figure out when to show them this video. I mean, there's some <laughs> levers in there, but that really helps. So like, I, you know, just doing a search, just put your competitors in as a search audience. I did that one and that one's already paying off. And I didn't even have, had a, I have a crappy ad, I think. <laughs> what? What what are the components of a of a good ad in your opinion? What I mean, I know that's a whole like massive process, but what do people got to consider when they're you know they turn on their camera? What do they? Is it working from a script with a specific framework or just pain points or what, what would you recommend there? Yeah, okay, so we can go real deep on this one. <laughs> this one's like I can speak about this for like days. <laughs> so we've got kind of like overarching feel before you put pen to paper and start writing a script or anything the overarching thing is to make sure we've got the psychology right because when you think about any youtube ad that you've watched recently that you think that was a really cool ad or that made me go and buy something you probably don't remember the copy you don't remember read like what they said mm, precisely true. yeah you no, remember the visuals i don't remember and... my own copy <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> uh, yeah uh, and the only time you're going to like, if you were to say, oh, have you seen that ad by this company? You're going to be like, talk about the visuals that you saw. Um, there's things that go unnoticed, things like the script, things like the sound effects, things like the music that goes with it. Sometimes that'll get remembered in the emotion, but it's difficult to articulate that. Whereas the visuals are what gets noticed immediately. Like I was, I was talking to some of the guys at ad schools recently, and we did like a workshop on this. And I was like, from the first scene, as soon as you see anything, you so much as being drawn in. So the setting and what you're seeing there is, is like the first thing that eyes pick up on. And there's a great ad by Masterclass with Gordon Ramsay, where he says at the very beginning, watch carefully. And then he doesn't say anything again for another 23 seconds. And I think it's one of the best ads that's on YouTube right now. And you, you hear him groaning about how beautiful the food is and, and him chopping up food and things like that. But the copy is just non-existent and it's music and it's, visuals and its sound effects and it, it just draws you in makes you think i just want to be a chef so before we get into anything most people go at video ads with like script first storyboard is kind of considered maybe but then it's like i've got to say these words and then we'll edit it up and see how it looks and then maybe put some moving images in or something along those lines and it's it's kind of killed it on moment one like the the way to look at this is to say really we've got to start with the human psychology and what are we really asking people to do? And, and it's kind of like something we did about two years ago. We kind of took the kind of a first principles approach to creating video ads to understand what are we actually trying to do? And if you're doing direct response, then really you're trying to get people to take a, make a decision. And if it's brand awareness, you're looking to get remembered. Those are the two things that are kind of most important. Now I'm more of a direct response guy. So I'm focused on primarily getting people to take an action. And so when decision-making happens, it's like, the way your brain makes a decision is, first of all, you've got to wake up the unconscious brain to even be interested in it to begin with. And before that happens, nothing happens. So you might as well get the unconscious brain engaged. And we'll talk about how you can do that in a second, if you like. And then the conscious part of your brain kicks in. And then it starts to say, okay, well, okay, un unconscious brain, I know you want something here. 
let's logically process this to make sure it makes sense to go and do this thing. So you've got this logic process, this conscious process. And then once both those are happy, then it's a case of like, all right, we might go do this. And that's the point where you've got to put tension on that decision to make someone go do it. When we look at any ad now, we break it into three acts. Act one is about waking up that unconscious brain. Act two is about agreeing with the conscious brain to make it easy for the logic brain to say, all right, yeah, this looks good to me. And then act three is building a huge amount of tension, not on the decision about the offer so much as the decision about who that person wants to be and who they want to become. So it's like an identity decision. Like if I click this link and go do this thing, it's because I want to be somebody. And if I don't do this, then it says to me, I'm not going to be that person. And if we can drop, like, keep that tension high at the end of the ad, you tend to find that your click-through rates go through the roof and has a massive impact down the line as well in the rest of the funnel. So yeah, so when we, when we get started, we start with that kind of storyboard to say, what we're really doing is waking up the unconscious brain, keeping the, uh, keeping the conscious brain happy, and then putting a huge amount of tension on, the, on the, the decision to go by or go do the next step. And that's kind of like start there, and then we can start filling in the gaps from there. So yes, we break it into three acts. Think about those story, that storyboard like that. And I'm happy to go into all three acts if you like, if we want to go deep no, on that. I, I really want to, because I was thinking of a few purchases, like I bought a as I was launching, I bought the posture buzzer that was going to buzz you if you, and <laughs> yeah. I used it for, because I like the idea of like, I'm going to be really healthy as I get, I'm turning 50 this year. And I was thinking, you know, I want to make sure my posture is in line. I want to be some creeped over old man hobbling along. <laughs> but then after a few days, I didn't really use it. <laughs> I was like, where the hell is that thing? But I was thinking of you when you, when you said that, I was like, yeah, it was like something about the uh, I wanted the thing and I didn't know why. And then the tension of who you want to become is like, I want to stay health, you know, staying healthy is really important. Well, everyone says that but to me, I try to really take action that way. Like quitting caffeine this year was not trivial. <laughs> and, uh, so I never thought of it that way. So like with our own Wicked Reports advertising, we're very, because I'm such a data guy, more like logical that's not that's not good enough. I mean, it was very clear. Yeah. So that. Well, you, so yeah. See, like with the with the posture thing, it's like even if you don't use it later, there's there's okay. So the direct response part of me would be like, I couldn't care less if you don't buy it later. That's the that's the business's problem. <laughs> like make them make them go use it, company. But as the advertiser, I'm like, I need to make you go and buy this thing. With that in mind, I'll be like looking to say like, yeah, there's there's almost like two types of people in this world. People that will take care of their health and their posture now and live a healthier, longer life potentially, or kind of a happier future. And the people that don't do this and will slouch and will inevitably get those back problems and it'll stop them from doing these things. So you, you get to choose who you want to be right now. You want to be this person or you want to be this person. I probably wouldn't go as, like, as, as, um, as conscious as that. I'll probably make it a bit more subtle, but still that kind of, you're, you're making that decision about who you want to be. And you're doing that in daily life anyway. You're just you're just pushing that uh, agenda a lot more. So like if I go to a gym and I'm thinking about signing up a membership, I'm kind of saying to myself, I'm, I don't really care too much about, I, I want certain things to be in the gym and I want certain things to be right about it. That's kind of my values. That's part of the conscious part, part of your brain. That's act two. But really at the end of the day, I'm making a decision of like, who do I want to be? Do I want to be the healthy guy or do I want not be the healthy guy? Because I'm making that decision right now whilst I'm in this gym um, and signing up for a membership. And it, it's the same with any products. You're, you're very much tying every purchasing decision you make to who you are as a person. Um, so we can kind of draw on that and we can 
position it in such a way where people are, are very aware of the decision, decisions they're making. And it'll be the same for Wicked reports as well. Um, how people view themselves when they buy Wicked reports will be a really interesting deep dive to do with your customers because then you can use that and then use it for your advertising as well. Yeah. Well, mining that first piece, the un- it reminds me of a guy, there's an author, Oren Claff, Pitch Anything. I don't know if you've heard Yeah, of I love his books, yeah. Yeah, because that was triggered mine. I've talked to that guy a couple of times. They, they've, they're wicked people. And I always loved reading his books because he talked about, uh, you know, there's just some, some mild parallels there with the reptile brain or what have you. How do you know that you, is that just something you know, like, how do you know that part? You're going to nail that part down because I imagine you get all kinds of different advertisers or like an e-com brand. Is, is that customer interviews? You got to mine that data, or well, your your background must have really helped, I imagine. I, I think the the background really formed our model. I think of like I went back to the behavioral sciences and um, behavioral economics to work out like what actually happens in a decision making process, and let's not forget about that when we create a, create a video ad. So, like I think a lot of people come from video ads either from the copy angle or come at it from a artistic angle or come at it from a humor angle or come at it from lots of different angles that people can come at it. I'm definitely much more a case of like, hey, I, I don't really care what angle we take as long as people make a decision to go buy this thing. That's my core. However you want to dress it up with humor or anything, fine. But let's not lose that element of like, we have to go through this process because that's how the brain works. Like, there's no point ignoring that. And you can still make sales, don't get me wrong, without it. It's just that you're going to optimize the process um, as best as possible. So. I suppose there's a lot of the marketer in me and the direct response advertiser, all the stats that I'm getting on a daily basis coming through and analyzing all the videos that work best, that all helps because uh, you start to see the trend of the data and saying, okay, cool, let's pull all the best ads we've run over the last five years and see if there's a trend of what's going on here. That helps. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, I suppose like my skill would be a case of like taking all that information and turning it into a model that we can use, but understanding why that model works in the first place is kind of key to that. And yeah, so that, that first act is we, we start off with like the offer itself and we say, right, what's the benefit of the offer? And that's obviously one-on-one of marketing. And then we say, right, well, who does that, if that person does decide to take you up on that offer and buy that product, who does that person imagine they'll become? So that's that identity piece that is just so strong uh, that a lot of people forget about as well. So who you're deciding to be, if we can make that a conscious decision to people, they're like, oh, okay, I get to decide who I want who, who I want to be in my future here. That's key. And when they make that decision, one of the biggest things they'll be tying that to will be their desires. So our deep rooted desires. And um, we're not always aware of what our deep rooted desires are. And even when it's shown to us painfully in front of us, we still don't see it. <laughs> so, so okay, let's say, take an example of like a four by four car, like a SUV type vehicle or like an off-roading vehicle. And like a new fancy one that might come out from like Range Rover or something along those lines. You probably got many more fancy ones in the in the uh, <laughs> oh, in the Range US. Range Rover's right up there. Okay, perfect. Okay, when you watch an advert on TV about Range Rover, you're gonna not see them talk about the mileage or <laughs> definitely not the health <laughs> benefits or like the benefits to the environment or anything like that. What they're gonna tie into it is that say, okay, you're gonna see the car go up the mountainside or go off roading, and then you'll probably see that the, the driver is someone who 
you kind of would love to be in an in a idealistic world if you're in the market for a Range Rover. So you see them kind of drive to the top of a mountain and then get out and chart a course and go snowboarding or something. Um, or they drive off, off, this, off the beaten track, find a secluded beach and get out and go surfing. There's going to be some sort of, we've all seen those ads, right? Like that's kind of, and all they're doing is they're, they're promoting adventure to say, really, if you buy this car, you get adventure. And that's what our brains all pair together. Like I get that car, I live an adventurous life. And your unconscious is like, yeah, love it. Take it in all day. Like, I love that car. And you want it all of a sudden. Consciously, you're not really too sure why you want it, but you just have fallen in love with it. Psychologists all know, and, and marketers all really know deep down, but the general public don't know that. We'd, like Most people are just like, yeah, I, I don't know why I like it. I just do. And it's like, because you think it's going to give you adventure. And adventure is a deep core like rooted emotion that you can't escape sometimes. It's just born. We, we all have it. But every product's done like that. You, a lot of like adverts you'll see on TV are well-crafted because they're tying into that deep desire that we all have. If I was to go and buy a, a drill bit from a store, for example, there's the classic marketer's tale, which is you're not buying the drill bit, you're buying the hole in the wall. And you're not even buying the hole in the wall, you're buying the shelf on a like, level of organization in the house or something. And I'll go, I'll go much further than that. I'd say, no, you're, you're really, if you get that shelf up, two things happen. One, you can show off to your friends and your family to say, hey, look, I can get organized. My house looks beautiful. But you also, you, you may be doing it for the sake of showing off to your husband or wife or whatever relationship you might have. You're showing off to them to say, I can do DIY around the house. I can be that person who you don't believe I can be. <laughs> I'll prove it to you type thing. <laughs> so if I'm going to the store, I'm buying a, a drill purely for the fact that like, I've got to show my wife I can do the, the DIY stuff around the house. That's, <laughs> uh, that's a, in my head, that's an important role for me to, <laughs> to hold up. And if I don't have that, what do I have? You're making decisions based on a deep desire to be uh, like that person or pride or whatever it might be. And, and it kind of goes for every purchasing decision. It's like a deep rooted desire behind it. And once you know what that is, you can play this out a little bit to say, well, you can get a certain level of status uh, with that purchasing decision. You can become part of an in-group. They all might have shares, similar values, and uh, stand for certain things and stand against certain things. I might behave in a certain way. But once you start forming this visual scene in your head almost to say, like, if you buy our product, you will get this desire, whatever that might be. And that desire can manifest itself in a visual scene. And then you're like, that could just be the scene of act one. Because then as soon as someone sees that setting, they're going to be like, oh, I want that. And they won't know why. But they're like, I want whatever it is that's in front of me. Uh, we did this recently with one of, I think, one of our best ads we've created in a while where it's uh, uh, someone teaching people how to play piano. And uh, Carmen Moran is her name. She's just unbelievable. She's an amazing pianist. That helps, of course. And we're thinking, right, what is the deep-rooted like, emotion that you want your customers to have? Or what do they really want to have? And she was like, they want to sit down at the piano and just lose themselves on the piano. And the keys just come to life and they're just, they're in complete flow. Time just seems to disappear. It's that kind of complete creative freedom where they can just be who they want to be on the piano and they don't have to think it's just happening and they just go away with their flow state. And weirdly, a new film from Disney Plus has just come out, which kind of shows that beautifully. And so we're talking about this. And I was like, well, where do you get that? Like, if you were to fall asleep and have a dream, where what would that place look like? And she was like, kind of for some reason, see a piano on a beach. I was like, perfect. Okay, can we take one of your? And she was like, she works with Steinway. I was like, can we take a Steinway to the beach? She's like, 
I'll see what I can do. She couldn't because it was like the salt tail would have destroyed the uh, <laughs> destroyed the <laughs> piano. I was like, okay, fine. And she's like, well, the next best thing is I can take it to the mountains. And I, there's a beautiful lake that I know on a golf course. And in the background, there's this like huge mountain with snow peaks and it's got uh, evergreen trees there. I was like, okay, cool. Do you think you can get it there? And she's like, I think I can. So she took it there. She got like a uh, removal men to help her to get it to this uh, location. She then filmed it. So our act one scene now is her walking to this piano at the bottom of this mountain with this beautiful lake. And then she starts playing. And if you're into piano or you ever want to learn piano, you are not leaving that video anytime soon. You're kind of, oh, you just man. glued to it. And I want, you end up saying to yourself, I want to be her doing that thing and feeling that emotion of complete creative freedom. And that's to say like, that's one of our better performing ads and it's done in a beautiful way. It could be done on a budget as well, but it's that, that moment in the ad where instantly the customer's mind, unconscious mind is like, I'm in for this. I don't know what's going on here, but I want what's going on. <laughs> um, so that's act one done, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. So with an e-com brand, it's almost, yeah, they got to think back through why someone buys it to begin with. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, give me a, give me an example. We'll see if we can unpick it. And like, I think that let's might be see. Um, okay. Well, let's, you know, we have the, I, I, one of our case studies is always with a guy that sells lobsters online. And so, sells lobsters in like the food lobsters. The food oh. lobsters. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. So his thing is that he does always say they're trying to buy this experience of having this meal and gathering with friends. And that's kind of mm. why they're buying. So he does yeah. have a video that is pretty good. And I'm thinking about it. He should be using it more where he just shows everyone celebrating around eating, unpacking and doing his lobsters. Sounds Got similar. It. What made me think of it when you were doing it, I was like, ooh, it reminds me of that lobster video. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's exactly where I'll go with it. I'll be like, you're sharing food with friends. And this, this is a really powerful moment because that's a big status thing. Because if you end up cooking the lobsters and however you cook them, I don't know, I don't know the best way to cook a lobster. It's that what we want to be looking at is, is the person that's serving them up. We want to see certain scenes. We want to see them cooking it and their friends coming over as they arrive and being like, what are you cooking? It smells amazing. That type of kind of scene. And we want them to be in a beautiful kitchen, like in, a, in an entertainment space as well. So it's like everyone's having fun and the lobsters come out and people are looking over or done in a cool way, not in a really cheesy way. And then there's definitely be a moment where the lobsters are put down in front of everybody. And we want to see them faces. We want to see them eating it, smiling, talking, and you basically become the super host. That's what, the status you're buying there is that you're you're becoming that person and that's kind of like definitely one of the biggest acts you want to have is like showing that you become this person you you own that space as well and that's really important to make sure that kind of you're pulling on that from the very beginning i think i think that's probably the reason why and obviously i'd love to chat to the person to understand it but i can imagine that's the main reason why people are buying the lobsters one for the food itself but Maybe more importantly, it's like, I'm the guy that cooks lobsters and has friends around and hosts. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is. I don't know if he emphasized that enough. I don't know. I just remember that That's video. what people are buying. Yeah. They're, they're buying a new identity or a, a level of status uh, within a group as well. And, and really, one of the, a great selling point would be what wine lovers do. Um, like, so they'll buy a, a bottle of wine, but they'll, 
if they know the story behind the wine, <laughs> they'll probably pay twice as much for that wine bottle. And then when they pour it, they'll tell their guests about the wine as well. So it could be a really good thing to pair the lobster with the wine and maybe have like a, an additional upsell, for example, about like what wine goes best with the lobster and why, so that when the person's serving at the lobster, they can say, oh, and you should really have this wine, by the way, and here's why. Because it makes you look like even more of a super host. You know, it's like, oh, I, I, I now bow to your cooking and also to your wine <laughs> um, <laughs> well, uh, levels. Uh, we have a couple wineries uh, using Wicker Reports. And one guy, came, he came to my house where he was headed out to a wine festival. He's like, hey, I'm coming out to Nantucket. It's an island off New England area. And I was like, well, we'll see. We'll have a wine tasting. You know, maybe you can sell some wine. Who knows? I knew his wine was quite good. So I was happy to have him over anyway. And he tells <laughs> yeah. this story and it was like phenomenal. And he ended up making like a couple grand that recurs every three months with his shipment. I look back, I was like, this wine tasting is not worth like that. That stop over my house when we stayed up till 2 a.m. drinking made you $6,000. <laughs> and the power of his story. Because if I just said, hey, some good wine, I like it. I drink good wine, I think. I don't know. It would be one thing. But he had a, such a, you know, he's just a master storyteller. And by the end, you're like, I want to support this guy anyway. And then you taste the wine. It actually is incredible. So that helps too. But it probably tasted better as well because of the oh, yeah. fact that you had the story behind it in your palate already, you know. But that's the beauty of a story. Like one of the key things about telling a story, even if it's like a small 30 second, 20 second, 10 second story, is that the missing piece for a lot of people is like, yes, the story can be really persuasive. But the reason why it can be so persuasive is because anytime someone tells you a story, deep within that is the fact that the person who's telling the story cares. Because if, if to tell you a story, they must care about you. You know, there's, there's no, you don't just tell stories to random people. You can only tell stories to people that you're kind of somewhat intimate with. And so that's another unconscious thing. As soon as we've been telling a story, we, we trust the person that's telling it. And yes, yeah, so you get all the, there's so many benefits behind telling stories. It's just innate within us to, to listen, to see where the story's going. But with that, it's like this almost like a Trojan horse. It's like that the person cares about us. Yeah, such a powerful medium for sure. Oh, yeah, we could talk about this forever. I want to shift gears so we finish somewhat on time here. A couple of specific tactics within YouTube. So the mm -hmm. what format style? I know the I personally like the there's like a true view for action where you can capture the lead right in there. Particularly if you're getting if you're doing a brand that's going to have more consideration rather than maybe get compel them to buy immediately. We always like it if people can capture some capture them, you know, to remarket to them all the different ways. And then also it's a great measure of success. Top of the funnel is, hey, I got the lead at least. Um, mm. I didn't close the sale right away. Do you guys do a lot with that? And what any any particular tips along those format? Yeah. So you, do you mean like the lead ads, like the YouTube lead ads? Yeah, you kind of thinking? lead ads there. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we don't use a huge ton of it. We kind of, most of the time, we'll kind of still use the true fraction, but get people to click through to the site and then do lead gen on the site if you like. Uh, we just find it better results typically that way. Like, there is the kind of lead ad approach and that does work. It's just the more that history of it's been very much like lower quality leads tend to come through that mm -hmm. way. It might be changed more recently. We haven't tested it so aggressively recently. But yeah, we, we, we do prefer kind of getting the click to the site and then getting the opt-in there. We tend to yeah, find that's that what I meant. The CTA. Oh, okay. I yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. No, no, that's cool. There's, there's, you, you do have like, um, uh, it wasn't beta. I think they're kind of, I don't know what it is they're doing with it now. I think it might actually be a, a thing available for people, but the ad 
and then underneath you have like a special mobile device you can just like do name and email and a bit like a facebook lead ad so, so to speak yep. but the yeah i'll by by far our preferred ad type is going to be the skippable true view ad which is like yeah in the bottom left hand corner you have the white box the blue button bottom right hand corner you have the skip ad button you have to wait for five seconds and then that's on desktop and then similar on mobile but the call to action is underneath and yeah straight click back to the website that's kind of our easiest, our best performing ad. So yeah, we always stick with that format. We we do do some discovery ads and things like that, but we tend to dial in pretty much most of our activity on the those true for action in-stream ads. Okay. And then um, if, you, if you're an e-com brand in particular, like you're a piano lady there, what are like the default audiences you find that you want to, te- I mean, it always takes testing, right? But what are the ones that you're like, you've got to do these audiences and if it's... <laughs> And if these audiences should work, so it's the ad, if it's not, it's not the audience, it'd be the ad. Like what are the ones you start with? Yeah. So I think like our rule of thumb for a long time has been very much like build from the ground up. We, we, we're not so interested in remarketing. It's a kind of different game compared to Facebook anyway, remarketing, but we love closing cold traffic and finding new customers. That's kind of much more fun, I find. So you can kind of you, you can kind of build from the ground up. So with your search behavior, like search activity, if you've got like a natural search audience on YouTube, then it's probably best to start there. And if you want like a really good return on ad spend, something like placement targeting down to the individual videos can work really well. It just won't scale very well, but do it anyway. The reason being is you can start to see what, what videos you're advertising in front of, and that gives you great insight into what your customers actually want and what they actually do. It can be really, really useful. Mm. So we use like a tool called Adzula. You, you might plug in a keyword and it'll give you all the videos that rank for that particular key phrase or keyword. And then you can like take all those videos and then put them into your placement campaigns. And then it'll advertise to all of those videos and you can see which ones work well. Some of them are going to like perform ridiculously well for you. Some of them just don't really get any activity at all, but doesn't really bother you. I love looking at the titles of the video that perform well and then be like, ah, that's interesting. And it kind of gives me insight as to where I should go next with my targeting. Because then you can move up to things like keyword targeting. We still love keyword targeting. It works really well. And then you can move into custom intent targeting or custom audiences based on Google searches. That's where you kind of like give Google some seed keywords. They'll find an audience for, for you of people that type those keywords in recently. And you can advertise to that audience when they come to YouTube, which is really cool. Yeah, They're really good because they can scale. Especially if you've got a lot of competitors. So like Wicked Reports, it's probably a lot of other platforms that do a similar thing or complementary services as well, where if they're looking for that, they'll be interested in Wicked Reports as well. It's just a no-brainer to go do those activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also build custom audiences based off of people's or, or domains that people might visit as well. And that's really cool. So you can say, if they've been to this website, then... I want to go into my custom audience and I'll advertise to them as well. Um, not so many people doing that, that, but you didn't know that. No. Oh, that's cool. Okay. That's yeah. So beautiful. Cause that's like the search, but even better. It's that, that much higher quality signal. Yeah, exactly. If you go to any of these, you can put like a whole batch of domains in there. They have to be at the domain level. So if it was like wikipedia.com forward slash analytics or something wouldn't be that's might be a good page for you but it'll be a terrible website to to, to add to your pool i'm sure you get the idea so that's that's gonna be really cool also you can do it based off apps that people have on their phones as well which is really clever so should people be downloading certain apps onto their phone you can say ah if they download that app that's my ideal customer let's advertise to them as well so that's pretty clever 
And then, and then like the ones I really love, but that are not always easy to get working are things like topics in markets and affinities. You'll find your conversion rates are not going to be great from day one, but once you've got a lot more activity through your pixel, our pixels, then you'll find that you, the algorithms start to understand your audience a little better. And so when you start like turning on these like in-market audiences, like for e-commerce in-market, it's just a no-brainer. And there's going to be some audiences there available to you that you can go target. And it's just really, really helpful. And also affinities. Affinities can be really quite broad sometimes, but if you've got the the algorithms on your side and a good ad and a good offer, they'll just scale all day long. And it's, that's a really good place to get to. It's almost like where you get started and where you end up on YouTube advertising is looks wildly different. Hence why there's like these phases you go through, but in the end you kind of want the algorithm helping you as you go to these big, big, broad audiences and getting great results. So your, your conversion rates might be a little lower potentially, not always, but sometimes a little lower for the bigger audiences, but the CPMs are cheaper. So it's a cheaper place to advertise slightly lower cost, uh, slightly lower conversion rates, but you're like, this is like a huge audience and it will just keep on working for you. So there's, there's a lot of activity that's happening there. One, one thing we found more recently that's been really, well, not more recently, it's just more that it's become a strategy that we've been rolling out quite a lot more recently is when you do go to those big markets, those big in-markets and affinity audiences and you're advertising there, it's sometimes really good to see where your ads showed up. So you can look inside your campaigns and see where did we actually show up? Like where did our ads, what channels, what videos did our ad, ads run in front of? And if you start to see a bit of a trend there, you can then take that audience and add them as channel placements. So let's say, for example, you ran your video ads to a big affinity audience, and then you kind of did a bit of a digging around in where your ads showed up inside that campaign. You might notice that like CNBC or Fox News is like a massive channel you just keep on getting conversions from. It can be quite a good idea to then say, well, let's test out that particular channel just by itself with our ads and see how that works. Sometimes it doesn't work. But sometimes it does, and it's great because the cost per acquisition could be far lower, and it still scales really well as well. So, lots of different ways in which you can target your customers. But it, it's it's like I've been doing this for eight years, and I'm still finding new stuff and new ways of running ads and all that. So it's like a, it's not not to say that it can't be done. It's just not you're gonna not gonna crack it on day one. It's just but it give it a couple of weeks and you get some great results, and then you kind of keep on scaling and and growing and seeing what works. That's awesome. I did a, uh, a, a webinar at Google in New York back when you, uh, a, a conference back when you used to be able to go to conferences. <laughs> Good old days. One thing, <laughs> yeah. one thing they were reason why one, one of the reasons I could present there was that, yeah, the Google related to what you said was the lifetime value of Google really grows over time. Like right out of the gate, Facebook can be fast to fish out of a very small pond and do okay. But those Google campaigns just compound over time. The good ones, it just, mm-hmm. their algorithm takes a little longer to learn, but then can drive a lot longer value consistently. Whereas Facebook can be quick and then peter out. And uh, we found that just, just when I was looking over, we tracked, I don't know, a couple billion in ad spend. I felt, look for the trends and it was, man, that Google really can compound over time. <laughs> 90, 180 yeah. days out, they're still learning and scaling at more modest levels of ad spend, it was really eye-opening. We 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 found that some of our best clients are ones that are not expecting anything from YouTube, so we can kind of take it quite slow. And we just kind of keep on increasing the budgets and just keep on finding new areas and keep on scaling. And and they're like, hey, this and especially if it's a company that is not spoiled by Facebook, if that makes sense. Like some people have like really scaled up very quickly on Facebook and think this is what advertising is like. It's like it's what this current 
like current uh, situation is like it's it's great because i've been through the google ads like beautiful days in the early days where it was like you could make so many mistakes and still make money and then that gets really really tough over time and now it's getting to the point where it's found its level ground but i think a lot of people on facebook are kind of getting away with the platform itself and it's great but it won't live that won't last forever no, no platform ever does um youtube's going to get so much harder in the future as well but there'll be other platforms that open up and things but the yeah i, I, I always look at it and saying like as we take on these clients that don't expect too much and uh, they're not saying, hey, how do we get this to $20,000 a day next month? And you're like, okay, that's that that doesn't happen in a month. That takes a little longer sometimes. Whereas when clients are like, hey, we spent $500 last week. That was amazing. And you're like, okay, cool. This is great. We There's no stress here. They build the best campaigns because you just have this kind of longevity over it. And you've got such a dialed in campaign. You've never had to push anything too hard. So it just keeps on growing nicely. And yeah, that that can that can be the best campaigns to grow because, it, as you say, it compounds over time and you just build such solid, like, um, solid campaigns. It's amazing. That's great. Uh, so one last question here. So 2021, what are your, what's your advice for advertisers for this, for this year and moving forward? Yeah, I think there's two things. One is data <laughs> and the other is creative. So I think like the the data storm is is coming, and I think that you are very aware of that as well, Scott. I think you probably know far more about it than I do. Uh, but yeah, I think that like the Apple starting off with Facebook is just the start. I think that this is going to become there's going to be more and more question marks as time goes on, and I don't know how that's going to play out. But the more we can use tools like Wicked Reports, the better. You know, like just get all that solid data into the from the CRMs and back into the ad accounts as best as possible. Uh, and then also creative is kind of, I think, where it's going. And people are talking about all the fact that creative can be AI'd, so to speak, and I just don't see that happening anytime soon. Like coming up with a new creative idea is is what humans are good at. Uh, I don't think it, that can be algorithmed out just yet. And I'm not sure if it ever will, but not to say that it can't be helped, it can't help, but it's not going to be like, it's sometimes that difference in the creative spark that's needed to make a real campaign work. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I'm continue to double down on the things we're, we're doing well in. But yeah, creative is kind of one of those areas that doesn't need to be super complicated just to get really, really good ads and doesn't need to be high spend. It's just sitting down and thinking for a little bit. It's fun work as well, but when you get an idea and you run with it and you let it play out, it doesn't have to be high spend. It can do busy, like low spend, like sub $500 and you can create a masterpiece. And that's kind of what's exciting about the platform is that yeah, the, the, a creative piece is the biggest lead that you can pull inside of an account. So that's where all of our focus and attention goes. That's great. So wh- where can people learn more about you and what services would you recommend they first engage in? I know you have a couple of offerings. Yeah, so we have two main offerings. We've got one, which is if you want to learn how to become a YouTube ad buyer, we kind of work with you for a whole year and quite a creative thing. We, we released it early, uh, late last year and we were kind of, we didn't want to be another training course, so to speak. Like we're not so interested in that. We're more in case of like we want to train people up to like hold their hand and teach them. And so we've got adbuyersclub.com, which is where we do all of that. And then uh, with our agency, that's viewability.co.uk. So if people want to have us run their ads for them. But yeah, we're very, very performance-based. We like to make sure that we kind of partner with our clients, whether it be viewability or whether it be ad buyers club, we kind of partner with them to help them get amazing results and grow and scale with them. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. I learned a ton. It was really fun. Cheers, Scott. Thanks so much for having me.